All right, we are live, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Football Outsiders live stream for July 12th, 2022. I am Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders, joined today by Dan Pizzuta, who uh, wrote the Houston and Tennessee chapters for the new Football Outsiders 2022 Almanac, and uh, Tom Gower, our resident Tennessee Titans expert. So yes, it is Almanac Day, everybody. Today is the day we've dropped the Almanac into the wild. You can go to the site now and download it at footballoutsiders.com. The PDF and the online chapters are both available. The printed book should be available by this weekend at Amazon. You know, usually take a couple of days to see if we have any additional errors, and then we submit the manuscript, and then it goes to print. We uh, have a special right now on FO Plus. So if you want to become an FO Plus member, which is what you need to do in order to read the digital version of Football Outsiders Almanac, you are going to get 20% off until the end of the month. And all the details about that should be in the description of the show down there if you're watching right now on Twitch or YouTube. And if you're listening right now on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, you want to go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Today is the first of a series of shows we're going to be doing over the next eight weeks, counting down all 32 NFL teams. Actually, we're not counting them in any direction. We're doing it division by division with the people who wrote those chapters in Football Outsiders Almanac and occasionally in the background, their cats. Hello. <laughs> so... Uh, let's start with the Tennessee Titans as the first team we are going to cover. As I said, Dan Pizzuta wrote the Tennessee Titans chapter. You also know him from Sharp Football Stats and for smart stuff on Twitter. Tom Gower is our resident Titans expert. The thing about the Titans and the entire AFC South, which we're going to talk about today and Thursday, is how close together all the projections came. Uh, the three three of the teams had an average of 7.9 wins in the simulations, and the other team was at 7.7. So we actually, even though last year, you know, as far as actual wins go, the Titans were way out ahead and the Jaguars were way behind, we have the teams a lot closer together for this year. Uh, we have the tit Titans making the playoffs 37% of the time, roughly. They're projected as the 19th best team, uh, better on defense than on offense, sort of an average schedule. So, Dan, you wrote the chapter. Tell me a little bit about the sort of thrust of what you wrote about the Tennessee Titans in uh, Football Outsiders Almanac 2022. Yeah, it was real interesting because I feel like the Titans, we kind of talked about it all year last year, that the Titans probably weren't as good of a team as you know they seemed at least record-wise, especially when you look at what they were, the one seed uh, in the AFC. And it kind of seems like they sat back a little bit and went, yeah, we probably weren't as good as uh, that record said we were. And in a year where all of the AFC teams decided they were going to go all in and push uh, to contend in either you know 2022 and, and beyond, the Titans kind of said, maybe let's pull back a little bit. Let's We're still going to try to win. We still have a pretty veteran roster. We have some young guys who are developing. But let's also give us some pivot points. Let's not 
uh, extend or restructure Ryan Tannehill again to push more money into the future. Let's not uh, extend or restructure Derrick Henry to push more of that money into the future. Um, let's trade AJ Brown, get a rookie deal, a wide receiver in there. So they gave themselves a, a lot of points where they can, if they're not as good as maybe they, they might think, or if the AFC South is a little closer, uh, they have some room to kind of move to the future uh, as early as 2023. So 2022 kind of seems like a, a wait and see kind of year for them. Yeah. Which I mean is weird for a team coming off the number one seed, but like you said, we didn't think, you know, we, we, said it so many times last year. They were the worst ever number one seed by DVOA. I believe they were the worst ever number one or number two seed ever by DVOA. Right. So they were not as good as their win-loss record. On the other hand, this division is not strong. It's still there for the taking. They're still very much in it. Our numbers may have them uh, not you know, with like a 50% chance of making the playoffs, we have them very close with the Colts. And surprisingly, you're going to learn the Houston Texans. But, uh, you know, they're still very much in this to make the playoffs in 2022. Uh, looking at it from a sort of like a team building perspective, it's an interesting strategy because general manager John Robinson has always focused on maximizing the current season. And yet, uh, last year with the Julio Jones trade and the cap restructures was really the first time he'd sacrificed future assets. And now he's sort of like sacrificing present assets, except maybe that I think part of the mo motivation behind the A.J. Brown trade was they were worried about how productive Brown would be this season in particular if they didn't pay him the money. So this is sort of like it feels to me almost more like contingent planning as opposed to a design of not trying to maximize this year's team. So I sort of have a different, more local perspective on it, but it's sort of like, and the division is still weak and they figure like, we'll be as good as we can be this season. I think they still really believe in themselves as a team and their defined style. One of the things you wrote about in the chapter, Dan, is even after Derrick Henry went hurt, they Ran the, they still ran the ball just as much, even though they weren't as effective at it. And I think that really speaks to a commitment to their particular identity. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this more when we get to the Houston chapter in a little bit. But this is a team that believes very strongly in their identity, and they're very committed to it. And they and it means a lot to them. And they think it gives them something that our numbers aren't capturing, which is why they got the number one seed last year, just notwithstanding all the things we said about them. Right. And I think that's, that's part of it where this is still a, a good roster, but I think they didn't want to, they didn't want to pull a, like a new Orleans saints, right. Where they're going to really trap themselves into this roster and push everything uh, down that they, uh, you know, potentially could have. So they, they, ha they still have the roster that they have um, and they like it, but, they're able to kind of spread some things for the future. Like I talked about, you know, the Malik Willis, you're not banking on a third round pick to become your next, you know, quarterback of the future, but they have that option now, which is something they didn't really give themselves last year. I think yeah. there's a big difference here between the offense and the defense. We have the defense projected much better than the offense. The defense really improved last year and we don't have them kind of giving back those improvements because there's a lot of good young players on the, on the defense, it's the offense where I think a lot of the question marks are. 
Yeah, and I think the biggest surprise, we had them, as Titans fans would like to remind you, projected as the worst defense in the league last year. They were 32nd in our projections uh, in last year's Almanac. And I think part of that was it was – I'd characterize it as – more they were really likely to be bad as opposed to we thought they'd be really bad because that projection was still better than they than they had been in 2020 but i think what really surprised me the most last year was about how the defensive coaching was much better than we expected and a more backward looking version of the almanac i think that's something really worth highlighting about is that i uh you mentioned this a little bit in the Elijah Molden write-up where he really improved from week six, but you know, they started out with him as a slot corner, as a slot corner. He got burned vertically for touchdowns in the in both week one and week two. And then they basically benched him for a couple of weeks and they basically completely changed how they played. Uh, defense when they came back and that was a sort of flexibility that we hadn't seen from them in previous seasons uh, where you know 2020 in particular where they had the worst third down conversion rate of any team in the last 30 years and they basically decided oh we'll just play the same way pretty much all season minus some minor game to game tweaking and I think that sort of adaptability they showed last year is the key to that ninth overall defensive projection even notwithstanding a maybe a full healthy season of Bud Dupree now that he's no longer coming off the torn ACL and with Jeffrey Simmons making the leap as a pass rusher last season. That was one of the things that you highlighted in the chapter, Dan. Dan. And I think that's really was, you know, ESPN just did their rankings and Simmons was the second best interior defensive lineman in the league behind Aaron Donald. And he was still a really good player in 2020, but that jump as a pass rusher is the thing that we need we're waiting to see from him and that you know we thought he had the potential to do but you know we've seen a bunch of players who have the potential to do things like that never actually make that leap yeah that's where the youth is on this team too so that's where i think we're kind of expecting them to develop when you know you look on the offensive side of the ball it's a fairly old brian Tannehill. uh it's a yeah. fairly old for a running back and coming off an injury, Derrick Henry. Um, so that's where they're getting older on the defensive side of the ball. That's that's where a lot of their youth and promise is. Um, I mean, it, you know, Kevin Byard's like the, the veteran there, but he's, you know, been one of the better safeties uh, in the league. Uh, you add, uh, you know, Amani Hooker next to him. Uh, you know, Christian Fulton had a, had a really nice season. I know that some of the, you know, the playoff kind of sticks with the recency bias in our head where it wasn't the the greatest matchup, but uh, he had a really good season. So like that, that's where we, you know, continue and I think can see develop. And like you said, some of the, the pivot points they had just in the season, um, you know, they kind of, you know, with, um, with Mike Vrabel were very, you know, single high and, you know, stacked box heavy when he was running the defense. And now this past season, they ran a lot of too high. They had light boxes uh, a lot more often uh, than you would think. They were top five in the rate of uh, light boxes. I think it helps when you have, you know, uh, Zach Cunningham, you can play the run. I mean, that's pretty much all he does uh, at this point. Um, but th I think like that's that adaptability and, and the youth and they can move some pieces around. That's where the, the defense is really the bright spot. Bill Houston in the comments says that it seems like FO is projecting parity ruling the league in 2022 because there was not the disparity in wins he was expecting between, for example, the Falcons and Bills. And yeah, like it was a surprise when I did all the projections that our projections came, the DVOA projections the highs were not as high as usual. The lows were not as low as usual. And that means when it comes to the win-loss projections, the same thing's going to happen. The high are not as high as usual. 
the lows are not as low as usual. It doesn't mean that I don't think some team can go 14 and three. I think that our knowledge of which team it is that's going to go 14 and three is shakier than we think it is. And that really comes across in the AFC South where we have the four teams really tightly grouped together in our projections, you know, thanks in part to the fact that the, the teams that are slightly lower in their projection have the slightly easier schedules. So it ends up kind of all averaging out. Talking about the Titans on offense, to me, I think a big question here is what Ryan Tannehill is going to be. Tannehill was terrible in our numbers last year. Now, I realize our numbers have him much worse than other numbers. The main reason for that is the differentiation between pass and run, because he was very good running the ball and, in fact, has been really good, efficient running the ball the last few years. Uh, But passing, he was something like 27th in DVOA. And, of course, the explanation for that is, well, look at all the games that he didn't have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, except that this year that's all the games. Right, yeah. I think the the Titans kind of had that. They had the right idea because when Julio Jones and A.J. Brown were on the field together, that offense was pretty good. Um, But it wasn't a lot of snaps. uh, And it's like you said, it's going to be zero this year. I think the the one thing that stood out for me on Tannehill was that his he's always been someone who's really been impacted by pressure. Um, And he was one of the worst uh, quarterbacks uh, by DVOA under pressure this year. His gap last year was even bigger uh, between pressure and not pressure. But the concerning thing is his DVOA without pressure has gone down in each of the past three seasons. So if he has that big of a gap with pressure and not pressured uh, and the unpressured performance isn't as high as it once was, that's kind of concerning of where you're going to be going like this type of quarterback who, you know, needs, uh, you know, all the, the, needs to be, you know, schemed up. He's one of those guys who can do really well off play action. That's kind of what the entire offense was built off of, the inbreakers off play action. Um so if that's not going to be as good in the ideal circumstances, then you kind of have to worry, especially with an offensive line that we don't really know uh, how good it's going to be uh coming into the year. And you've mentioned how old the offense was and it's basically you go you look almost everywhere. They're trying uh, last season in particular. Everybody other than Julio Jones and right guard Nate Davis is older for the position. I think they're really making this. Uh, I mean, this is just the way it's worked out more more than intentional plan, I think. But it's sort of like they're slowly changing the players from the 2019 to 21 peaked to whatever the next era of the Titans is going to be. So I don't think, so this goes into, you know, what you're talking about with what they were sort of like trying to do this year. And they're sort of like, feels like a maintenance year almost, but they're still the best team in the division. Now, what I would say, what I would wonder is if you're the Colts or the Titans as a team and you see our projections have the AFC South as tighter than I would say conventional wisdom probably has it, you know, does this affect your thinking at all? Well, no, cause you're still, I mean, you're, you've got the players you've got now. So you're going into the season trying to win this division. And we're saying that the division is there for any team to take. So it's not like the Titans and the Colts are going to not try to win it. We're, we say the yeah. Titans and the Colts are still have a strong chance to win it. Um, I think if you had seen our projections three or four months ago, maybe it changes. 
what you do. But then that sort of goes with what Dan is saying. Like if you saw our projections where we didn't have the Titans way ahead of everybody else, what you would do is what the Titans actually did, which is trade AJ Brown and get a rookie wide receiver instead. So. Yeah. And that's one of those things like they, you know, they could have uh, continued to push Tannehill's money, you know, into the future. They could have, you know, worked a way to, you know, Derrick Henry has a $15 million cap hit this year. They could have found a way to lower that push more money uh, into the future and maybe, you know, get another piece or so. But when you look at kind of the, the grand scheme of, of what it is and you're you know still competing in the, you know, at the AFC with, you know, the chiefs, the chargers, um, all, all of those other teams, uh, is like one other piece worth for the Titans pushing a lot of that money into 2023 when like, maybe you're going to be okay in the divisional round. Like, are they really going to, is, were they another piece away uh, for 2022 to really compete with some of the other top teams in the AFC? I'm not sure they were. And I think that's kind of the calculus that they had where there's, they're still going to be good. They could still easily win the division, uh, but whether it's, you know, truly a contender and whether that was worth, sacrificing some of the flexibility they now have for 2023. I don't think they wanted to do that. What's your feeling, Tom? You read a lot about what's going on with the Titans in camp. What's your feeling about Traylon Burks and the asthma business? Because the guy hasn't been able to get on the field. Uh, Mike Frapel is very New England, very cagey about injury issues and player health and future availability. I'm basically in wait and see mode until training camp. And I think it's going to be, I won't feel really confident one way or the other about how it's going to go until we actually get actual NFL games played. So that's sort of like a question I'm, I'm going to try to keep my, keep updating my thought on through like the end of September which is not ideal from a projection standpoint, but he has a, it feels like he has a very wide range of outcomes. And the receiving core is basically him, Robert Woods coming off a torn ACL. And then it's Nick Westbrook-Akine, who's a wide receiver for special teams guy, uh, fifth round rookie, Kyle Phillips. It's, I mean, I thought last year after AJ Brown and Julio Jones was really thin. This is like even thinner than that. And it's, yeah, it's you know, it's, I would like to argue, I'd like to point out to other Titans fans, you know, here's why the offense is going to be much better than our 25th uh, DVOA projection. But it's sort of like, you look at that receiving core, you look at in Derek Henry with his history, with his workload and his history and what he did last season. And it's like, you look at how old all the offense is and it's hard, you know, I mentioned last year, we had the defense projected 30 seconds, sort of like, okay, if this goes right and this goes right and this goes right and this goes right, then they could be a lot better than that. And it was a lot easier for me to build a mental case for optimism. The offense is basically like, if everything goes right, they should, they'll be average or a little above. Yeah, I think that that's true. All right, so Tennessee Titans, 7.9 mean wins. Uh, read Dan's chapter, Football Outsiders Almanac 2022. Now let's talk about the Houston Texans. Once again, if you're coming to us late, I am with Dan Pizzuta, who uh, wrote the Houston and Tennessee chapters in Football Outsiders Almanac 2022, and Tom Gower, who is uh, one of our resident AFC South experts. And we are going to talk about the Houston Texans and what I'm sure for a lot of people is a very surprising projection of 7.9 mean wins and making the playoffs 36% of the time 
although they only come out 25th in total DVOA in the projections, what, what happened is they're, they're, like, they're lower than the Colts and the Titans, but they have an easier schedule. So it ends up bringing them almost to where the Colts and the Titans are. And I know it looks weird, but what happened is the Texans kept signing guys who added just a little bit in the personnel variables, just added just a little bit of improvement to their defense. Like they signed Jerry Hughes and they signed uh, Akaronkwo from the Rams. And then they signed, uh, uh, then they drafted Derek Stingley in the first round and Jalen Pitry in the second round. And part of the projection system is that it's sort of easier to predict the impact of defensive rookies than to predict the impact of offensive rookies. Like the predict, like the defensive offensive rookies have a much wider sort of range of possibilities of as far as how much they kind of suck. And so it like it kept adding little bits and little bits and little bits to their defense. Mike Clay from ESPN does these uh, unit grades that are part of his projections. And he has Houston projected with the worst team in the league when you grade them unit by unit. And I feel like when you look at their defense, I don't understand how you have them as a as the worst team in the league. They seem so kind of like, sub mediocre but not horrible like they keep adding these veterans that are like they either add veterans that are like kind of reasonable or they have added rookies at some important positions and you're like you know what rivers uh not sorry not what rivers said in the chapter what you said in the chapter dan is essentially this team is built so that when week 12 comes along and they show the graphic that says still in the mix that the Houston Texans will still be in the mix. It's just they're going to be five and seven. Right. Yeah. It they they built this team to hopefully be average. Um, and I think one of the other things I kind of said in the chapter they they seem like they're striving for competency because for a while there's just been incompetency from the Texans. Uh, so they they want to just be competent so they can say they were competent for a year. Uh, so you look at guys like you bring in, especially, you know, uh, the defensive line is is not going to be that bad. It's a bunch of like decent players. Uh, you know, um, I said Malik Collins is probably, you know, better than, than the average, but, um, well, you know, you look at, they brought in Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes. Um, you have guys that are going to be able to rush the pass. Like they'll be fine. They like, they're not going to be the worst in the league at anything. Uh, I don't think, which, which is really their goal. And they get into the chapter and like, that doesn't really help them out for, you know, 2023 and any, any type of core for this roster, because that's, it's really non-existent um, outside of, you know, the, the guys who were drafted this year and, and maybe you could say Davis Mills uh, if you are really high on him. Um, so there's n- really no core to build off of in future years, but this team is very well built to be okay in 2022. Um, that basically to me raises the larger question. What is a successful 2022 season for the Houston Texans? I mean, honestly, I think that the most successful season for the Houston Texans in 2022 is if we're wrong and actually they suck. (laughs) In that case, they get uh, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever the hot quarterback is next year with the first overall pick. I mean, it's – no, I was at the – I was at the season-ending Texans-Titans game, and, you know, Davis Mills, once they stop – shoot, I have long people outside. Um, Once they stop putting Davis Mills in the – in second and long and third and long all game, he was sort of like 
semi-competent, but it's sort of like he may not be a complete disaster. And so the defense, you know, we have him projected 15th. I agree with Dan. They have a bunch of, you know, if last year's was the team that you signed of a bunch of replacement level Madden free agents this year, they have those guys and a few guys who are better than that. So in that mm-hmm. case, they're probably going seven and 10, six and 11. And from, you know, if this was Atlanta, we'd say, oh, they're stuck in purgatory where they're in, you know, they have no chance of winning, of making the playoffs, but, uh, uh, you know, they're not also completely awful and they're not going to get a high enough draft pick. I mean, that looks like who Houston is going to be. And it's sort of like, do they think, is that to them success because it's executing their culture? And it's sort of like they're cosplaying as an NFL team, but really, uh, Sort of like you go into the Jack Easterby rant. I don't understand where where they are right now and where they think they're going. I mean, I'll be really honest. I think that our projection for them is too high for mean win. Because I think in reality, I think that the range of possibilities is not as wide as it is for most teams in the NFL. It's really hard to imagine the Texans going better than 9-8. and eight. Like if they win this division, I feel like they win this division because everybody goes nine and eight or worse. But as far as Davis Mills goes, I mean, like a lot of this team, like, hey, he's semi-competent is going to be his on his tombstone. Like the fact is Davis Mills was the second most effective rookie quarterback last year. He got better near the end of the year, which doesn't tend to carry over till the following year. Let's be really honest, but it does sort of show some growth. And he was in a terrible situation, right? Like any argument you want to make about how Trevor Lawrence looked awful because he was in an awful situation. I mean, Davis Mills' situation was almost as bad, except he had Brandon Cooks, whereas like Lawrence lost his best receiver in week four. But it's not like playing for the 2021 Houston Texans was a good situation. And yet Davis Mills looks semi-competent. At the same time, I think none of us, especially film watchers, but let's just say none of us think that Davis Mills has a reasonable expectation of ever being a top 10 quarterback in this league. Yeah. I, I think a lot of what it went going back and, and watching him and, and looking at the numbers, it was a lot of it was, you know, schemed in a, a way where it was, uh, again, it was, it was okay. Um, when you look at, it, I think it was, you know, 70%, of his passes were within, you know, 10 yards of the line yes. of scrimmage. Uh, there were a lot of, you know, uh, empty completions uh, when, you know, the football outsiders looks at um, failed, uh, completion. failed completions. Uh, he was uh, among the highest rate of that. So there were a lot of completions uh, that were short and accurate. And he's fairly accurate from, you know, one to 10. Um, but then you go to, you know, the intermediate and deep passing and it wasn't really there. So in that way, he was kind of a, you know, a poor man's Mac Jones um, a little bit, so I'm not totally sure how much there's going to be, you know, an explosive element. Uh, and I find it really hard to sustain an offense uh, if you're really only going to be living in that one to ten range, and that's really the only way you're productive. That's the only way uh, you're accurate. Uh, so I think like that's kind of where the, the hang-up long-term is, where it, it can be fine in that area, but I don't think you can build an offense around that. Uh, Bill Houston, speaking about Houston, comments that the Texans seem like the most likely team to sign Ryan Tannehill next year after he craters from a lack of supporting players to prop him up this year. 
I'm, that's not what the Texans are going for. The Texans are going for drafting a young quarterback next year, and they have extra picks now, I believe. Right. Yeah. They, they have that extra one. So this is kind of going to be, you know, around the league, as we see, like we have a young quarterback kind of getting a, a second test year. Um, you know, it's, it's the same thing with a lot of these teams around the league have kind of added that second first round pick uh, and the quarterback in place has, has a year to, to maybe prove themselves. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, this, the Texans are going to probably under Pep Hamilton run a little more, you know, 12, there's going to be some heavier uh, personnel sets. Uh, it's probably going to be a little more play action. I wrote in the book that, you know, uh, and I heard you talking with, uh, with Derek Lassen last week when you were talking about the quarterbacks, like Davis Mills was actually pretty good outside the pocket. He's not a guy you really want outside the pocket um, like too often, but if you can maybe control him, make him like one of those boots, play action guys, make them, you know, put them in the, the Tannehill Kirk cousins, mode. maybe that's your best case scenario for Davis Mills. Um, you know, maybe that, that helps them a little bit. And I think like, that's kind of what they're going to be playing around with this year. Uh, so let's say Davis Mills ends up as sort of like a below average starter. Say he's like 20th in DVOA, little functional in the Pep Hamilton offense Texans go, six and 11, seven and 10 end up with a pick and end up with like the seventh or ninth pick in the draft. What do you do? Because you try to I mean, trade up to the top. Yeah, I think that's probably, you know, what you, you should do. And, but that's kind of what the Texans are setting themselves up to do, right? They're, they're not trying yeah. to organically get that top pick uh, where they could just say, all right, we're going to take this guy They're They're setting themselves up for, you know, maybe the six or seven wins where they're going to be in that place. And they have to use uh, that extra first round pick to, um, to trade up. Uh, and that just kind of seems like, yeah, like it, what happens if they're average? And that kind of seems like, uh, you know, if, if that's around where the, the projections have them here. And that's kind of, it seems like what they're, they're setting up to do. It just in the long term, kind of seems like it's, it's not the greatest way to move forward into 2023, but they can say, Hey, we improved in 2022. And I think this kind of just entire Texans organization feels like they need that at this point. And that's just kind of why they built it this way. Blandness is blandness is better than what we've seen over the last year or two. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, but also on the defensive side of the ball, they, they did do some interesting things. Um, you know, last year they, they changed up a, a little bit, you know, you think of Lovey Smith as, as the cover two yeah. uh, type guy, but uh, the second half of the season, they, they were running single high at one of the highest rates in the league, but that was kind of still an old football guy type thing because they were really bad against the run. So they just really wanted another guy in the box. So that's kind of why it wasn't necessarily a, this gives us a, a schematic advantage in coverage. It was, we need this extra guy in the box because we can't stop the run. Um, so we'll see, but I, I'm interested to see what, you know, if Derek Stingley does, you know, open up some coverage things because you would think, he would, and we kind of saw on draft night, like that was said in the phone call. So that, I guess, gives you some hope. But this is also, you know, the same coach who had uh, Darrell Rebus out in, in zone coverage. So, yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. And, yeah, at least we didn't get a Lovey Smith first 100, first 100 days long form. We got like, like we got in Tampa. I don't know if you two remember that. What, it, well, why well, well, I don't remember the story. Uh, 
100 days into his tenure as head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Tampa, the official Bucks website released a like a 20 or 40,000 word long form covering just his first 100 days. And it's basically that that whole thing tanked Lovey Smith's entire career. That is yeah, a long essay. It's it We'll see if he gets a hundred days. Uh, also, considering you know what what the Texans have been doing, they clearly want head coach Josh McCowan at some point. Um, you know whether that comes in in twenty twenty three or not. It seems like they really wanted that in twenty twenty two, and then the the Flores lawsuit, and no one else wants to hire Josh McCowan to give him any NFL coaching experience. So the Texans can say. Uh, you know, they, they have experience for him to be hired as a head coach. Um, it just, it kind of seems like it's just kind of a mess overall, but again, 2022 might be okay. Uh, but I don't really like the future outlook of anything that's going to be after that. And that's, that's the thing. If they want to really hire Josh McCown as head coach in 2023, just keep with your same replacement level veterans, go all in on Davis Mills. And then maybe you, and then he's bad and you end up two and fifty. Two and fifteen, you get a high pick. You say, "Okay, Lovey's not what well, the direction we need to go. We're going to do something completely different." And uh, Josh McCown, you're mentoring C.J. Stroud, mm-hmm. as opposed to whatever they're likely to end up at the end of this year. And you know, it's sort of like the with that and that a year, a few years ago, I guess it was 2015 when the Colts uh, just collapsed without luck and the Texans got a completely empty division win. I think that was the year they lost to Kansas City. Kansas City ran the opening kickback for a touchdown. The game was never remotely interesting. And sort of like the this isn't this was success of a sort, but it's not the sort of success we wanted. We're completely resetting off of that. And I don't know what they're going to do if that if you know if if in a if in a thin division if in a thin division they get that sort of good fortune again and they get the playoffs and sort of like I don't see what it's I just I'm just really I seems like I'm on the same note but I'm just completely struggling with what's what success in 2022 and beyond is to the Houston Texans like it is absolutely possible that they do that now I think that our projections have them too high, but I do think yeah. our projections are sending a message about how this team is much more mediocre than they are bad. I don't think they're going to win this division, but there is a chance that they like go nine and eight and sneak away with a bad division. In which case, you know, are they going to drink their own Kool Aid after that and think they're a team on the rise, or will they be smart about it and realize, like, first of all, that they need a quarterback? like a real quarterback and um, and that they need to continue to build for the future. I, it's, 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 it's weird. At least it's a, a little bit more entertaining than last year, which was just a complete nightmare. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think about that. I could Davis mills with in a, in real structure be basically like what rookie Jared Goff was minus the Rams said offensive and defensive superstars. I, I mean, yeah. I don't think Mills will be that bad. I know I, it's, you know, it's, uh, I think it was Ben Muth who said he's basically a jugs machine. That was, I think what he said about golf, that if you point yeah, him in the golf. right direction, that he'll like throw it to the right place, but like you have to point him in the right direction. Yeah. And sort of like if Mills can be that, and that's sort of like the, 
they could sort of like fake themselves into, you know, average or below average, but functional rookie quarterback. Uh, two more, two more cheap years left after this one. They're sort of like, we're talking next off season about the Texans using their multiple, using their extra first round picks to sort of like invest in the current version of the team as with a division that's still searching for answers. Uh if Jacksonville doesn't take a real step forward. Yeah. And you would think, and then, you know, you look at what they're, you kind of look at the draft that also adds a confusing element because they, they did pick up, you know, those, all of those extra picks. Uh, but then in the past two years, they've had the two biggest premiums just in kind of draft value, obviously not giving up the most picks, but it was a very expensive trade up for Nico Collins. Uh, they had a even more expensive trade up for John Mechie this year. So there's still a team that is still, willing to give away a lot of draft capital to get their guys in like the second and third round. Um, and that's not exactly what you would be wanting from a rebuilding team either. This team would be much better with, you know, a multiple third rounder or third, fourth and fifths. Um, that's what this team again should be doing, but they're still very confident in, in their guys, even though they're picking up some of these extra picks um, they're and, and they're paying a lot too. It's not like they're just moving up in the draft. They're paying more relative to the pick they're getting than, just about anyone and that was two years in a row i fully agree it is weird like this is not what they should be doing like and nico collins barely played as a rookie right they're expecting a lot more from him this year they better be because right now he's their two and mechie is their three and i don't even know if mechie's going to be healthy to start there. right and he's coming off the, the acl so it's maybe october uh, if, if he, you know, is, is back. Um, so it's a, a very, again, we can just, you know, we talked it for 20 minutes and just can sum up the, the Texans are, are weird and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And that kind of, uh, yeah. talks about what they have been for the past couple of years. And I also kind of think describes why they're doing what they're doing, because if they're okay, like they can, they can say that. And I think they'll, you know, publicly put out that, look, we, we improved. We were an okay football team this year. Uh, and that's that's kind of their goal. They just don't want to look as bad as they have been in the past. All right, that does it for the Houston Texans. 7.9 mean wins. I know, a little surprising. I think we all believe they're going to probably come in a little lower than that. But again, more mediocre than you think they are. Topher Dahl says, the funny thing about how people felt Lawrence and Fields should be given a pass because of the rosters and coach they had in 2021 but I think it is fairly logical to say that Mills was in a worse situation last year, but still outperforming. I don't think he was in a worse situation than Mills. I do not. Uh, no, and I, I think uh, Fields was. Or I think Mills was in a better situation than Lawrence.